back to Freedom Fridays. In this episode of Freedom Fridays, we're going to answer the controversial question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And I understand why people think about this question, because the concept and the thought of a God of love sending people to hell is disturbing. But it's not really the right question. Um, we're going to take a look at that today and uh, start off when we think of hell. Why does hell even exist? Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> so you see, the original intent, the original design, the original purpose to create hell is for Satan and his followers, his angelic followers. That's the purpose. Those who rebelled against God in heaven and got kicked out, about a third of the angels, that is the purpose of hell is punishment and torment for those who rebelled against God. Now, it is true that the Bible clearly teaches that people will end up in hell. People will end up in hell. Um, but as we think about the concept of people going to hell, or people even being judged for their sins and for their uh, rebellion against God, the concept of that really is justice. And God executing justice actually brings hope. Uh, throughout the New Testament, you see people are encouraged that God does execute justice, and he doesn't just forget um, and ignore the wrongdoings and the oppression that happens in this world. God does execute justice. And so because of that executing of justice, that brings hope that, that what we're doing is not just pointless and not just ignored. Uh, divine judgment is actually a good thing that um, can you imagine if a family member of yours gets brutally murdered and the jury and the judge just turn a, a blind eye and say, well, you know, he, he said he was sorry, so we're just going to let him go. Um, that isn't justice. And so God's executing justice on sin is is actually a good thing um revelation the book of revelation declares as god is executing justice on a world that has rejected him that god is just and true and it says nothing about him being unfair about it even in the midst of the um definitely seemingly harsh judgments in the book of Revelation, God is 
characterized in there as being just and true to execute those judgments because uh, it's justice and it's needed. And without it, he would be unfair. And it says nothing about him being unfair because of it. <clears throat> this whole issue is really all about total depravity. See, if you believe that people are generally good and born good and their, our nature is generally good, then you'll have a problem with this because if you're generally good and then you just make a mistake and you're thrown into hell for it, it would definitely be overkill. However, when we look at Romans chapter 3, it says this, starting in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Nobody is good. Nobody is born good. Nobody is basically good. Nobody is basically innocent. In fact, um, all you have to do is look at other people to see this. Jesus reiterates this in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about this parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it goes not into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from... Within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile 
the man. What Jesus is saying here is that your heart is the source of your evil. Whatever your evil is, whether it's thoughts, intentions, actions, whatever it is, your heart is the source of your evil. And uh, James reiterates this, the, uh, but see, none of us are basically good. God doesn't send good people to hell because, frankly, nobody is good. Nobody is good. Jesus reiterated this as well when he said, why do you call me good? No man is good, reiterating at that point that he is the son of God. He is God. So recognizing, yes, he really is good, but also at the same time recognizing man is not. Man is basically sinful. Now, all you have to do is take a look at history. It's obvious in history. Now, I'm not talking about people like Hitler or Mao or, or uh, Lenin or any of those. I'm talking about just take a look at history and you will find that groups of people tend to make bad decisions not just the individuals, but even the groups. All you have to do also is take a look at your family. If you have children in your family, how many of you had to teach your children to disobey? I don't think anybody I've ever known has ever tried to teach a child to disobey. Why is that? Because you don't have to. They already know how. You have to teach your children to obey. You have to teach your children to do the right thing. You never have to teach them to do the wrong thing. They figure that out all by themselves. And how is that? If they are basically good and they, they have a, a heart that is just basically good and, and the environment around them is what teaches them to do wrong, then why is it that we never have to teach them to do wrong? It's not about our environment. As Jesus said in the passage we just read in Mark 7, 14 to 23, as he said, the evil comes from our heart. It doesn't come from our environment. It doesn't come from those things around us. It doesn't come from somewhere else or someone else. It comes from inside because we have a sin nature that we have inherited because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so now we inherit that sin nature, and because of that sin nature, we are basically evil, not good. I know that's tough to hear because we want to think of ourselves as good. And especially in this culture and in this society today, we say, you know, tell, tell people good things when they're, when they're young. Build up their self-esteem when I think we really need to make sure they understand that they're basically evil and they need Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we go around and say, you're just a worthless, no, no good, you know, dirty, rotten scoundrel to everybody around us. That's just mean. And that idea is forbidden in Scripture as well. But to tell somebody, you are amazing, you are wonderful, you are everything good about the world, um, is deceiving and it's also going to show them that there are they are something that they are not 
In fact, it's going to bring welling up inside of them the very first sin in all of the world, and that was pride. Do we really want to foster pride inside of their, their, their little hearts? I don't think so. I think instead we need to have a balance in reality that tells them and shows them that they are basically sinful and they need a savior. Now, what? let's bring it back to the, the question of how could a loving God send anyone to hell realizing that we are not basically good, but we are basically evil, that we um, have rejected God right from the start. Um, even so, God says in Ezekiel chapter 18, down in verse 23, Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? So here's the question. Do, does God take pleasure when the wicked are uh, receive their just rewards for their evilness? And do, does God take pleasure in that? He says, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that he should turn away from his evil way or from his ways and live? God would rather have the wicked person turn from their evil ways, i.e., he would rather have someone come to an understanding of their sinfulness and an understanding of his righteousness and an understanding of the forgiveness and grace and mercy that can be extended to them through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He would much rather have someone come into understanding of that than to have them judged for their wickedness. So why can't God just forgive everybody? Uh, first of all, because God is not only a God of love, but he is a God of justice. And to just forgive someone who first of all, doesn't want the forgiveness, uh, second of all, doesn't acknowledge even God's ability to forgive him or even God's presence or God's existence for that matter many times, that would not be just. That would not be just at all. God is not only a God of love, he is a God of justice. And he gives, he gave Jesus as our way for forgiveness as his act of love in justice. See, Jesus paid the penalty, which is justice. Our penalty of sin is death, separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. Now, that's the question, right? How could a loving God send anyone to hell? According to C.S. Lewis, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Instead, he has made a way of rescuing people from hell that you're already going there. See, the question is actually backward. How could a loving God send anyone to hell is not the right question. The right question is, how 
can a loving God rescue people from going to hell that are already destined there and already going there because of their sin? And the answer to that question is because he loves us so much, he sent his son to be the penalty that you deserve and that I deserve for our sins. So that if we put our faith and belief and trust in him, we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And yes, that's my paraphrase of John 3.16. Hell is a disturbing concept. And for good reason. God doesn't want anyone. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Instead, this disturbing concept of hell, instead of turning you away from God, should turn you toward him because he loves you so much that he made a way that you don't have to go there. It is your choice. He has given you the free will to choose. Do you want to continue down the road of depravity that you are toward a, a Christless eternity in hell? Or do you want to accept the free gift that he has given through salvation and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty that you must just receive. If you want to know more about this issue, I would encourage you to go back to the very first podcast in the Freedom Fridays series. Listen to that podcast as we discuss our freedom and how we can have freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Freedom Fridays.